Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you are addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I'm a Dynasty Freak. That means I love drafting and trading and scouting and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty on episode number 200. A little bit of a milestone there, 200. Hey, it's week two. Dynasty Freaks were treated to another great week of NFL games. Uh, every time slot had things coming down to the wire, which is super fun. Uh, several players had game-winning fantasy days for sure, to the joy of many managers and then who had them on their rosters, but also to the pain of those who did not. Uh, even so, uh, I noticed most of my Dynasty Leagues came down to Monday night games to determine the winners, so it's going to be a really fun night on Monday night. Releasing this on Tuesday morning, recording before the Monday night games. I uh, hope it was a great night for you. So after following all of the Dynasty games, uh, all the NFL games, I want to give you some of my thoughts from a Dynasty perspective from the Thursday and, and all-day Sunday games. Here's some of my observations overall from a Dynasty perspective. Uh, first would be to say, uh, two is enough. Two is enough. <laughs> little pun there to start things off. Much apologies for that. But Tua, uh, man, had the best game of his career in a thrilling fourth-quarter comeback win. Scored 44 fantasy points by throwing for six touchdowns and 469 yards. Uh, and then two is enough uh, because Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, man, had 37 and 35 points respectively. Uh, most of the fantasy goodness came in a 21-point comeback, fourth-quarter comeback, uh, where fantasy managers saw their winning percentage change radically over those 30 or 40 minutes. I know I had two in a couple leagues, and just to see the, the percentage change from what I was losing, losing percentage, to suddenly just a very high winning percentage was pretty awesome just over the course of about 30 minutes. Man, Mike McDaniel, uh, the coach who looks like a college student, is 2-0 now. And he's answered the question about whether his schemes could elevate the play of Tua and increase his dynasty value. Uh, having two top 12 dynasty wide receivers uh, to throw to definitely increases his chances. Uh, under the new head coach, the sky's the limit for the Dolphins this season. Pretty cra- crazy to have two top, in my rankings, top 12. I think I have uh, Tyreek Hill ranked number 10, 12 right now as fantasy receivers and, and um Jalen Waddle ranked number 10. To have both of them on your squad and the way they're moving this offense is pretty fun to watch. And maybe this is actually going to elevate Tua for the first time to be a fantasy starter, not just in super flex leagues, but in one quarterback leagues as well. Pretty exciting. Next uh, comment I'll call Show Me the Money because even though it came in a heartbreaking loss, Lamar Jackson's, you know, said, Show Me the Money. He scored even more fantasy points than Tua did, if you can believe that, with 46. And uh, four four point uh, passing touchdowns. Um, he had a 75 yard touchdown pass and a 79 yard touchdown run. And Jackson is definitely carrying his team right now through the air and through his feet uh, because the running backs brought in while awaiting J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards' return are just been terrible. They've been horrible. And as expected, Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman are Jackson's top targets. Bateman caught the 75-yard touchdown on a perfectly thrown route where he just outran everyone to the end zone. And then last week, he had that 55-yard touchdown on the deep ball. It's really great to see him healthy this year and prove that they're not going to miss Marquise Brown being gone from their roster. 
Andrews scored what looked like a, a long touchdown, but they overturned it on review and placed the ball at the half-yard line. But thankfully, Andrews' managers were rewarded when Jackson went right away back to Andrews on the very next play and got the touchdown anyway. Just got those fantasy points back. Man, Baltimore lost a lot of defensive backs to injury in the game, uh, which played a big part in the Dolphins' ability to come back. If the Ravens' secondary remains hobbled and Dobbins and Edwards can't return, Jackson's going to continue to rack up fantasy points and secure what I think will be a very hefty contract with the new team. Uh, they need to show him the money for sure. Next comment I'll make is I'll call it a shiny new thing. Shiny new things. The Jets have some shiny new toys. And Joe Flacco, of all people, showed them off in a very crazy comeback win to Cleveland. Uh, Garrett Wilson saw his snap count rise from 29% to 61% this week. What a huge difference. And his snap should continue to rise after his 8-catch, 102-yard, two-touchdown day. He received four more targets than all of the other Jets receivers combined. So he was the number one receiver this week. Four more uh, targets than all the other Jets receivers combined. Much to the chagrin, I know, of Elijah Moore, dynasty manager for sure. And then there was Brees Hall, another shiny toy. He scored more fantasy points in week two, uh, though he had a snap count actually decrease from 41% to 27%. The problem was that he just looked great. He looked awesome, and he averaged 7.1 yards per carry. But the Jets strangely added Ty Johnson to their running back rotation this week after only Hall and Michael Carter you know, rotated last week. Hopefully this is something the Jets coaching staff's going to stop doing after watching the film and looking how great Hall looked in, in all of his uh, touches. And then there's another little shiny new toy, um, Tyler Conklin. He's not a rookie, but he is a new addition to the team. He's quietly shined the last two weeks. He's received 92% of the snaps in week one and 100% of the snaps in week two. Uh, he's been targeted 16 times over the previous two weeks, making him the fourth most targeted tight end in the NFL. Crazy. No one would have guessed that unless you knew those stats. Uh, Conklin's kind of a sneaky player right now to acquire in a trade before managers realize how much he's being utilized. Uh, the New Look Jets, you know, are going to play from behind a lot this season, I think, as they have the last two weeks, which has really given their offense a lot of uh, opportunities and chances to shine. These uh, new players on the team are definitely adding to uh, the fantasy production for sure. Next observation, I'll call it uh, goodbye to you. Goodbye to you. It's sad to do so, but I think it's time to say goodbye to two players who once held such great promise on Dynasty rosters. That would be Kenny Galladay and Devontae Parker. They just appear to be done. Uh, Galladay was basically benched this week by the Giants when he played only 3% of the snaps and didn't receive a single target. Of all people, he's been replaced by a career journeyman, uh, Richie James and David Seals. Unbelievable. It's just pathetic to see him get replaced by those guys. The Giants coaching staff doesn't care how much he's getting paid for now or how he's played in the past. Uh, they're not letting him on the field. And then Parker, he's definitely seen the field more than Galladay, but he only had two targets in each game. First game, two targets. Second game, two targets. Total this season, one catch. Uh, he was not... He was on the field for 100% of the plays last week, but just 76% this week, and I imagine that's going to continue to drop. Apart from Randy Moss, the Patriots have never been able to make a free agent wide receivers productive, and I thought they would with Parker. I, I told you all I thought that he would. I was really excited when he signed with the Patriots, but I'm going to have to admit now that I think I'm wrong. Um, I've, I've lost all hope for Galladay, and then I'm a week away from losing all hope for Parker. I'm going to give him one more week, but I'm going to say right now to these guys, goodbye to you. Uh, next thing I'll mention, I'll call it socialist offenses. Uh, I think it was Ian Harditz 
He cracked me up this week by calling some offenses socialist, meaning that they just distribute the fantasy wealth evenly among the team. Uh, that's what stood out to me most watching the highly anticipated game on Thursday night between the Chargers and Chiefs. I'm very conserved about Austin Eckler's timeshare. Uh, he saved you know, his fantasy day on the last two drives by benefiting from a few receptions in the hurry-up offense. But before that, Joshua Kelly and Sonny Michelle were way too involved in the offense, and especially in the goal line. Uh, plus, some guy named Xander uh, Horvath <laughs> scored a green zone reception for the second time in two weeks. Uh, Eckler's yet to score a touchdown this season after carrying fantasy teams while scoring 20 last season. I'm not a fan of this new development. It's uh, socialism, you might call it. And the same thing's happening in that game with the Chiefs passing game. After looking at like the clear wide receiver one in week one, uh, Juju Smith fell to the third wide receiver in targets. Marquez Valdez-Scantling led the team in snaps. Nicole Hardman's been way more involved in the offense than I expected. And then now Justin Watson caught the wide receiver touchdown on Thursday. Jarek McKinnon caught the other one at <laughs> running back. And last week it was Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards-Zelaire and Jody Fortson and Hardman again that scored. It's way early in the season still, but this is what I feared would happen after watching a lot of the preseason games uh, with Kansas City. They're just going to distribute the ball. Mahomes is going to distribute it pretty evenly. So Ian Harditz is right. Uh, some offenses are acting like socialists, you might say. Next observation, I'll call it a hang in with Mr. Cooper. Amari Cooper, he's just an excellent wide receiver. He bounced around the league for sure, but he's been the top wide receiver on each team that he's played with. And Sunday, he gave the Browns hope for the future, uh, leaving fans very eager to see what he can be once Deshaun Watson returns from suspension. Uh, Jacoby Brissett looked actually good in this game too, making Cooper managers open to actually starting him, even though they're a run-first team with a backup quarterback. Uh, Brissett was on point on Sunday, completing 81% of his passes. Crazy, compared to 53% last week. 81% this week, 53% last week. And Cooper is the one that benefited by catching 9 out of 10 targets for 101 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the Browns' next two opponents uh, gave up the 24th and the 25th most points to quarterbacks. So dynasty managers should be able to really see in the next two weeks if Brissett can make Cooper productive and uh, make him be someone that you'd start in your lineups. You knew you were going to start him in your lineups when Watson came back, but he might be worth actually starting right now. Um, it's pretty exciting. Uh, Cooper is just a super tactical receiver, and he can still win with poor quarterback play, uh, as he did on Sunday. Uh, he still has gas left in his tank, I think, for several more productive years ahead of him, especially when Watson gets back. Even though the younger wide receivers have long since surpassed him in dynasty value, Cooper's still a startable wide receiver, which is fun to watch on Sunday and hopeful that he can actually be in the starting lineups with Cleveland, uh, even with their backup quarterback in there before Watson comes back. Next is a sad one to talk about, but we have to from a fantasy and dynasty perspective. I'll call it winning by losing. Um, as I talked about last week on the podcast, injuries are the worst part of fantasy football, but in some cases they actually help players. Uh, of course, we know that injuries to non-quarterbacks provide other players on a bench a chance to play, you know, get some playing time and actually become maybe a possible starter in our lineups. And then from a dynasty perspective, maybe even become a more permanent role if they you know, look good when they finally get the chance to play. That's with all the other positions, but very rarely do we talk about quarterback injuries that help other players on the, fantasy on the team from a fantasy standpoint. But this Sunday, it's sad to say that I think they will. Uh, every manager of the 49ers players, except the Trey Lance manager, 
is going to benefit from Lance's season-ending injury. Uh, last week I talked about how I sold you know, one of my Debo Samuel shares last year and regretted uh, and uh, regretted not doing so with some Kittle shares because I just feared that Lance would not make the players around him productive. They'd actually become less productive, especially in the passing game. Uh, all that changed this week and out. Now Jimmy Garoppolo is a starter for the rest of the season with a Lance injury, and he'll produce more fantasy passing yards, I think, uh, than Lance would have. He also won't eat up rushing yards like Lance would have. He won't eat up rushing touchdowns like Lance would have. Uh, simply put, the slices of pie just got bigger for everyone in San Francisco, and now I want Debo back. <laughs> At least I sold him for a decent price when I sold him. I did get Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, and what uh, pick draft pick that turned into Jahan Dotson uh, for my Debo share, but now I kind of want it back now that Garoppolo's at the at the helm. I call it winning by losing, sadly. Speaking of Jahan, Dot- Jahan Dotson, um, I'll next comment will say who is in command. Uh, the first two weeks of play made it really hard to know who is in command of the Washington receiver room. Uh, today, as of uh, this morning, there uh, have uh, the receivers ranked this way in Washington. Jahan Dotson as a dynasty number uh, twenty, ranked number twenty-three. Terry McLaurin ranked twenty-sixth, and Curtis Samuel ranked sixty-fifth. Those are my dynasty rankings uh, as of this morning. Twenty-third uh, for Dotson, twenty-sixth for McLaurin, twenty or sixty-fifth for Curtis Samuel. But after these games, uh, the fantasy points have been this way: uh, Curtis Samuel thirty-four point six, Jahan Dotson thirty-two point four, and Terry McLaurin riding the caboose here with twenty-three points. It's good news that Carson Wentz is actually making all of them actually viable fantasy starters. The bad news is as this trend continues, their dynasty values are changing, especially McLaurin's, uh, who most analysts and managers have ranked far above the other commander receivers. I can't help you know think that Samuel's going to get injured uh, if they continue to use him the way that they have, but I'm going to need to move him up in my rankings pretty significantly since he's been the top targeted wide receiver, especially on the targets per route run. Dotson and McLaren lead the team with snaps at 70 and 67, respectively. But Dotson has three touchdowns compared to McLaurin's one and has one reception, uh, one more reception than McLaurin already, seven to six. So not a big share there. Samuel's getting all the share of the targets and the catches. I'm sure that McLaurin, you know, will be their most productive wide receiver in many games this season. But so far, he's not done it. Uh, this trend makes me a little bit nervous about my two McLaurin shares thrilled about my four Dotson shares and sad that I don't have any share of Samuel on my roster. I don't really know who's in command of this offense um, with, with this receiver room. Actually, all three receivers seem viable starters right now, but it's a little concerning if you're the McLaurin manager, as I am in a couple leagues, because he's lowest on the totem pole right now. Next observation, I'll call it uh, can't hack it. Yes, I'm going with another pun here. Can't hack it. Nathaniel Hackett, you could say, quote, improved upon his terrible offensive showing at the end of, of game coaching decisions last Monday night to more of the same on Sunday. Um, Hackett hired, you know, to make the Broncos a more offensive-minded team after coming, you know, off being the offensive coordinator for the Packers and working with Aaron Rodgers, but he's been a total failure to do so so far. Uh, he made another terrible mistake on Sunday, causing a delay game penalty before a long field goal attempt that caused them to have to move back and then punt instead. And after two green zone fumbles on Monday night last week, 
He seemed afraid to run the ball in the green zone this last week and threw every time without success except for one stupid trick play featuring who? Andrew Beck? Unbelievable. Uh, the players are getting in so late. Uh, the play, you know, plays you know, getting called are getting in so late. The crowd actually started counting down uh, the, the play clock, just like you know, think basketball fans do when they're watching, you know, they're rooting on at their team and counting on the shot clock. It's ridiculous. When they weren't counting down the clock, they were booing. Those are the two things that the crowd did. And Hackett and Russell Wilson, who only completed 45% of the passes on Sunday. It was terrible. Both were terrible. Cortland Sutton and uh, Javante Williams, they looked great. Every time they're given the opportunity, they look awesome. But the offense needs a lot of work to unleash their fantasy production. Neither of the two of them have scored a touchdown in these two weeks. Jerry Judy did score one touchdown the first week on a very nice running catch but the rest of the startable Broncos have been underperforming for sure. And this offense scored just two touchdowns this season so far. That's pretty bad. And so, so far, uh, the grade on Nathaniel Hackett is pretty bad. So, so far, Coach Hackett can't hack it, we'll say. Uh, Very concerned about all the Denver players. Things need to improve quickly. Final observation before we look into waiver wire and some trades in my leagues. I'll call it laying eggs. Laying eggs. Uh... Who everyone assumed would be far and away the top two targets uh, for Justin Fields. They've both laid eggs through weeks one and two, and I'm not sure that it's going to improve. Cole Komet finished the game without a catch for the second week in a row. Unbelievable. And then Darnell Mooney uh, had just one catch for the second week in a row. Just one catch in each of the last two weeks. And this time it was actually for negative yardage, so it's giving him actually two catches for four total yards on the season. Uh, Justin Fields threw a ball just 11 times on Sunday night. And I get why. Because the Bears could not move uh, on the on, through the air, but they were gashing the Packers on the run. David Montgomery actually looked really great. He averaged 8.1 yards per carry on Sunday night. He looked great, but the Bears just couldn't sustain drives. And they ended the night with just 41 offensive plays. Unbelievable. With that low of play volume, not a single player is reliable in fantasy lineups. For comparison, just in that game, the Packers ran 68 plays. more than the Bears did. Uh, Justin Fields uh, has run the fewest plays of any starting quarterback in the NFL this season so far. Get that. Fewest plays of any starting quarterback in the NFL. That's excluding Dak Prescott and Trey Lance, who both left games with injuries. But the guys that played both games fully, he's got the least amount of snaps. If that's the case, Mooney and Kement, they're still intriguing from a dynasty, you know, assets in this offense if they can improve. But still, neither of them are startable unless there's significant improvements by Fields and by the Bears' uh, pace of play. Unbelievable. Those are my 10 observations for the week. Let's talk about some waiver wire so you can get you guys set to make your waiver wire moves this week. Remember that I do play in 300 to 360-man rostered leagues, so then dynasty leagues. If they are in shallower dynasty leagues, there's definitely much better players than this, but I'm talking from... Uh, the players that I'm trying to pick up in the leagues that I play in where we roster 300 to 360 players total. First would be Ashton Doolin. Uh, Doolin's a player that I've had on and off my roster since the end of last season when his target share continued to increase at the end of the season and his snap count increased at the end of last season. Uh, the addition of Alec Pierce in the draft and the NFL draft and Paris Campbell returning healthy actually caused me to draft him, drop him from all of my rosters uh, before the season started. But I've since added him back in every league where he was available. Uh, Doolin was the second most targeted wide receiver for the Colts in week one. And then the most targeted receiver 
uh, this week after Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce uh, were ruled out with injuries. On Sunday, he caught five of seven passes for 79 yards in the Colts' scoreless effort, mind you. Um, I picked up Doolin in four leagues on Saturday, right before Pittman was ruled out. I still like his chance to become the wide receiver, too, ahead of Pierce. Um, he's been so already through the first two games, and so I was very happy to add him to multiple teams. Sad that I didn't get him in the one team where he was actually picked up last week off of waivers. So Ashton Doolin would be far and away my my first target uh, for this week. Next would be um, Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams uh, was one of the players that I uh, talked about highly. If you follow me, you know that I was very high on Williams after he signed with the Cardinals. I thought for sure that he would win the wide receiver two, I mean running back two role behind James Conner, who's often injured. I admitted that I was wrong at the start of this season, though, when it became pretty clear that Eno Benjamin had secured the RB2 spot role behind Connor, and so I dropped him from the two teams where I rostered him. But now that Connor's injured, like I thought he would be, I want to add him back because Williams was in a virtual split with Benjamin after Connor came off the game, and he actually outscored Benjamin, too, from a fantasy perspective. Uh, He got the more fantasy-relevant work in the passing game. If Connor's injury is significant, which they're saying right now that it's not, but if it continues to linger, Williams is going to be a flex-worthy player in very deep leagues that start, you know, 10 or more players, excluding defense and kicker. He may even have a chance to prove to the coaches that he's a better backup to Connor uh, once he does return to see the field like he did on Sunday. He looked better than, you know, Benjamin for sure. So Darrell Williams would be second. Next two players aren't, aren't ones that I'm trying to add in every league, but I wanted to mention them here. One would be Justin Watson. Uh, I'd like to add Watson, you know, in the deepest of leagues. Uh, given that I already wrote, you know, talked about you know Patrick Mahomes' pass distribution, uh, Watson's the player I'd like to keep an eye on at least. His college production was incredible, but he's just never been on a team without several veteran wide receivers ahead of him on the depth chart. Uh, he does have a lot of competition in Kansas City too, uh, but he's the same in the same league athletically with all of the players on Kansas City's team. So he could be the one that kind of rises to the top, someone that I'd definitely add in the deepest of leagues. And the last one I just want to mention here would be David Sills. Sills is a player to watch, um, but not necessarily add this week, if only because he drew 92% of the Giants' snaps on Sunday. And Kenny Galladay, as I already talked about, is done. Uh, Sills used to tear up my Longhorns when he played for West Virginia, so I remember him well. I uh, kept an eye on him uh, as an undrafted free agent. I think he signed with Buffalo first, but now he's moved over to the, the Giants. Uh, he's definitely a player to keep an eye on in a wide receiver particularly given the snap count that seems to be increasing for him. Keep an eye on David Sills in the very, very deepest of leagues at him this week. Finally, for this week, we'll talk about two trades. We finally had some trades. That's exciting. Uh, Trades made in my leagues this week. One was Clyde Edwards-Alaire was traded for Deontay Johnson. Uh, Edwards-Alaire for Deontay Johnson. Uh, Last season's champion in this league put Johnson on the trading block, and then a deal was made the very next day. Uh, One team needed more depth at running back. The other team needed a wide receiver. And so they were able to strike a deal. And both players were actually put immediately into the starting lineups this week for both of those teams. Um, I've always been way way lower on CEH than most dynasty managers and analysts. So I like the Johnson side of this trade. Uh, CEH has produced well to start the season this year. uh, But it's really based on touchdowns instead of volume. He's not really getting much volume. In contrast, Johnson has yet to score a touchdown, but he's received 22 targets in two games. And so I'd bet on the targets over the touchdowns this year and in the future. Close trade, but I would say Deontay Johnson would be the player I'd like most. And next, I already talked about the, the, the volatile 
value right now of Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin was traded for Chase Claypool and a 2024 first-round pick. It's a big trade, McLaurin, for Claypool and a 2024 first-round pick. Again, this is the reigning champion in this league. He sold another receiver after selling off DeAndre Johnson. He sold off McLaurin. But this time he got a wide receiver back and a distant uh, draft pick in return. I already talked about my concern for McLaurin. Uh, he's definitely a player that dynasty managers have to decide whether they're in or out on right now. It's kind of an in or out type of decision you have to make. And in this case, one manager clearly declared, um, I'm all in, <laughs> even willing to give up a first-round pick for him. George Pickens uh, has yet to cut into Claypool's production. And some would say, arguably, he could actually help his production if if Claypool you know, gets to you know permanently start himself off in the slot with Pickens on the outside and Johnson on the outside. He's also a player right now that I think managers are having to try to decide on. Like, what do we want to do? Especially now that Johnson signed a two-year deal with Pittsburgh, we thought that maybe they wouldn't re-sign him, but now he's signed, and they've got Pickens on the outside. If Claypool could play in the slot, what is his value? Uh, so two players, really, you're trying to decide on right now, McLaurin and Claypool, both part of this trade. Uh, given the value of the first-round pick, I think I like the package side of this trade, but it's very close. And it's going to take at least until 2024 to see uh, how this how this goes because it's a very distant pick. Uh, two players you're really having to try to decide on right now, Terry McLaurin and Chase Claypool. Uh, the 2024 first-round pick puts me a little bit over the edge on the McLaurin side, especially since you know me as a Dotson homer. And I already talked about how Samuel and Dotson are outscoring McLaurin so far this season. That's a wrap for this week. Fun week, too. Hope you guys did well in your leagues. Finally had a really good week myself after a pretty poor week last week. Excited about the future and continuing uh, these podcasts. As a little note, I am going to be on vacation some in the next few weeks, and so there are going to be a few weeks that I miss doing the podcast, but I'm going to have a great time on my anniversary trip and then going to Israel, actually, for a week and a half, so that's going to be fun for me. That's a wrap for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at DynastyFreaks at gmail.com. That's DynastyFreaks with two E's. Much better on email than Twitter, so email me. would love to talk to you about your team and get your thoughts, too. I'd be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me as an independent podcaster. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.